out today, it's a different place, all the same with a new face, with strange mysteries hanging in the air. People in their sane minds swear they see you today. Are you looking for the love they took away? Everyone knows that you couldn't bear pain. So you took your life in the pouring rain. Ghoulish greetings to all of you. Thank you so much for stopping by and making Paranormal Prowlers podcast part of your morning, day, night, whenever you're listening and wherever you are listening from. It is greatly appreciated. Those awesome tunes that just went through the old ears is, of course, courtesy of the amazing Bobby Mackey. And as always, I am your host, Tessa Morrow. Today we find ourselves in Cheeseman Park in Denver, Colorado. Today, if you go there, you can find over 57 different types of trees, such as the Douglas fir, Colorado blue spruce, the American elm, and so many others. While there, you can't help but notice the beautiful, lavish mansions nearby, people walking their dogs, children running and playing, a couple enjoying a nice romantic picnic, and don't forget about the ever-so-gorgeous Denver Botanical Gardens. With 80 acres, there is more than enough room to do whatever you please, and it is located in the heart of downtown Denver. Now, this beautiful park offers a beautiful view, actually several scenic views, and amazing trails. It also is home to a very awesome pavilion with gorgeous flowers surrounding it. Cheeseman Park was named after Denver businessman Walter Scott Cheeseman. What you may not know when you step foot into this park is that it wasn't always a park. In fact, it was a cemetery that was later on converted into a park in the late 1800s. Before this park even existed, it was known as Mount Prospect Cemetery, which was established back in 1858. It was often referred to by the locals as Boot Hill or the Old Boneyard. Several large plots were actually reserved in one section for Denver's most wealthiest of citizens, and most respected, of course. The edge of the cemetery was for the criminals and the paupers, and in between was where the middle class would rest eternally. To be a little more specific, the west side of the park was where the Masonic and Odd Fellows were buried. The mid-south section was for the Chinese. The northern part was for the Grand Army of the Republic. The parking lot east of the Botanical Gardens was the Hebrew section. And where the Botanical Gardens are, well, my friends, right there used to be where the Roman Catholics were buried. While they had hopes and dreams that respectable citizens would be buried here, these burial grounds were more for 
criminals, and the poor, the unwanted. In fact, several outlaws would be buried here. So it wasn't a shocker that when the influential, the well-respected and loved and wealthy Denver residents started to die, their families often found other burial grounds for their loved ones to spend eternity in. The first burial occurs on March 20th of 1859, when Abraham Kay dies from a very unfortunate lung infection. The next burial is of John Stoeffel, the Hungarian man. He goes to Denver, where he plans to confront his brother-in-law about something. The meeting, unfortunately, turns fatal when John shoots his brother-in-law. He goes to People's Court, where he is thankfully found guilty, and on April 9, 1859, just two days, mind you, after the April 7th murder, Justice is served when he is legally hanged from a large cottonwood tree right by Cherry Creek Street. I believe it's still there. Around 1,000 people came to watch this execution. Now, believe it or not, John and his brother-in-law, the man he murdered, his victim, mind you, they are buried together. Not even like next to each other, but they're buried in the same damn grave. Like, oh my god, so much for resting in peace, am I right? It wouldn't surprise me if this park was haunted for this very reason alone. But I'm jumping ahead of myself. Yes, it's haunted. But no, we're not talking about that right now. That's later on in the episode. I know, I can't wait either. Now, it was John Whaley's dream to be an undertaker. Something that this cabinet maker who had no experience in such a thing, wanted to do. So he dipped his toes in just that at this cemetery. And guess what, you guys? He, I wish could say, nailed it, did a great job. He failed miserably. Like, a five-year-old chimpanzee would have done a better job. Like, just seriously. And soon, not too long after John takes over, the cemetery duties, guess what? It is left in shambles and major disrepair. In fact, some people are actually removing their loved ones and putting them in other locations just because, like, why would you want your loved one there? It's horrible. It's an embarrassment. Shame on John. Headstones, they were being vandalized and even pushed over. And I actually saw this with my own eyes when I went to Bachelor's Grove last December in Chicago. I mean, it was just, it was obviously from humans and not weather. Very intentional and extremely disappointing and disrespectful. Like, really, shame on the people who do this type of immature shit. Cattle were allowed to just roam the burial grounds, making themselves quite at home. Now, in 1881, a smallpox hospital well, it's constructed right behind the potter's filled section. Many people would be buried in mass graves on the burial grounds. Thousands of people, I believe it was like over 8,500 were buried here at Mount Prospect Cemetery. By the 1880s, though, the cemetery, it's barely receiving any burials. And soon, it is discussed that maybe it should be converted into something that will be used more, like a park. Well, Congress, they agree, 
that it should be changed from a cemetery to a more public-friendly place like a park. And in early January of 1890, they rename it Congress Park. <laughs> Super catchy name. Unfortunately, this left the families who have loved ones buried here in quite a predicament. What are they going to do? They're only given three months' time to make other arrangements for their past loved ones. And that's no easy feat. Three months, okay, so that's 90 days, give or take. It's like, okay, that's a lot that you have to do. You have to find other arrangements, get this person exhumed, transfer, rebury. I mean, what a colossal pain in the ass. I can't imagine what these poor families were going through. Well, those who had the money to do so and the means, they start to have their family members exhumed and moved to other Denver cemeteries and burial grounds. Many Chinese people in the Chinese section were actually exhumed and several were even shipped back to China to be reburied there. Several of the bodies that are exhumed are transferred and reburied at the new cemetery in Wheat Ridge, established in 1891. In 1893, Denver hires an undertaker named Edward McGovern. He was once a well-respected man and was in business for well over 44 years. No easy feat. And he was actually one of the founders of the Colorado Funeral Directors Association. So, you know, he has a lot going on right there. Really respectable. Well, his job here is to produce new coffins for the exhumed remains and transfer them over to the Riverside Cemetery in Wheat Ridge. He is put in charge to move the bodies, something that should be treated with the utmost respect, like, duh. The first day of business for him starts on March 14th of 1893. On March 19th, just a few days later, the Denver Republican reports, quote, according to the contract, McGovern is to be paid $1.90 for each unclaimed body and $2 for each headstone, unquote. Today, that $1.90 is $63.51. So not too bad, not too schnazzy for back then in the 1800s, mind you. Now, somehow, in some way, Edward McGovern, he went from being this well-respected and well-liked dude, this undertaker, to a conniving thief. He saw opportunity. He was given a mile. He was given this great opportunity to do something, and he took a million. Instead of using coffins fit for adults, like, uh, duh, the appropriate size, mind you, he starts to build child coffins, about one foot high, two foot wide, three foot long. Uh, that just wouldn't do for an adult, which most of these were. He would break the bones, dismember the bodies. Then he would divide them into three different coffins, one body for three coffins. And remember, he's getting 190 for each coffin. Today, again, that's $63.51 for every single coffin. What a sneaky, conniving son of a bitch. He had close to 20 employees working for him. He demanded the workers to get three coffins per body. One would hold the skull. The second would be limbs. 
third would be some chest bones and ribs. And guess what? Sometimes, believe it or not, even a fourth one would be added and it would be filled with dirt and rocks. Talk about major disrespect for the dead. Like Carl Tanzler and his corpse, quote, bride, unquote, because really they weren't really married. This man obviously has no respect whatsoever for the human body. I can't imagine one of my loved ones being treated like this. I would see red. And to add insult to injury, if that's possible, Edward McGovern is not only disturbing the remains and dismembering them just to make an extra buck, but he is straight up stealing from the corpses as well. Jewelry, medals of honor, anything of any type of value goes into this corrupted man's pockets. No joke. One of McGovern's cronies of a gravedigger was named Jim Astor. He had been taking pleasure, like his boss McGovern, in robbing the graves of the deceased possessions. They're dead. They don't need this. Mm, I think I'll just take it. Well, one time he feels a spirit touching his shoulders. He was actually in the middle of stealing some brass from a coffin so he can sell it for scrap. While he is doing this dishonest deed, he suddenly feels this intense, bone-chilling, cold pressure settling on his shoulders. Literally to him, it felt like the weight of a full-grown man. He believed that he was being punished by the deceased for his illegal and horrible actions and activities, and he runs out of the cemetery, soon to be park, and he never comes back. Karma is a bitch. As he is doing these horrible, unmentionable things, he is being haunted by the angry spirits of his victims. One of those victims is said to have been a soldier. He was buried in full uniform, and McGovern steals the medal that he is wearing right off from his neck. One night, as the hero's medal sits in front of him, it moves with such force that it falls hard to the ground. As Edward bends down to pick up the stolen medal that this war hero earned and possibly died for, who knows, his arm begins to shake wildly and uncontrollably, as if an unseen powerful force is holding him back from touching or picking up this medal that was so disgracefully taken away. Mind you, this was just one incident, okay? He begins to hear these disembodied voices calling out his name. Things are moving all by themselves. At one point, he finds the cigar that's burning on the desk, as if somebody had just been puffing away at it. And you better believe that the hauntings did not just stop once he was let go from his job. Even as an elderly man, he is being haunted by the people he disrespected years earlier. It is said that as an elderly man, he goes to visit Cheeseman Park, and he's just sitting there enjoying the cigar, sitting on a bench, enjoying the beautiful view. The man is then greeted by a apparition in full uniform, and in his hand is a medal, the medal that he had stolen so long ago. He then starts to see these other dismembered bodies coming up to him. Edward McGovern's scandalous ways are revealed not too long after he takes on this job as Undertaker and removing the bodies. 
In fact, it is on March 19th of 1893 that the Denver Republican reports this, an outrage to the most sacred sentiment of civilization, respect for the dead. When the article comes out revealing this despicable, pathetic, selfish man's dirty laundry, it leaves a rank rancid stench throughout Denver. And believe you me, it's not the bodies being exhumed. And the pathetic fools relieved from his duties by Mayor Rogers. Relieved of his duties. Better to say he was fired. He was canned. Let go. Terminated. Kicked to the curb. No more. No mas. I found another article, and it was titled, The Work of Ghouls, and it reads, The line of desecrated graves at the southern boundary of the cemetery sickened and horrified everybody by the appearance they presented. Around their edges were piled broken coffins, rent and tattered shrouds, and fragments of clothing that had been torn from the dead bodies. All were trampled into the ground by the footsteps of the gravediggers like rejected junk. Unquote. Now the article it gets extremely detailed as it reads this. Into the box, some bones were cavalierly tossed by a workman. He then pulled another box to the edge of the grave, and into this he tossed one bone, some earth and portion of the coffin. At this juncture, a man came along with a pot of paint and brush, and numbered and lettered the two boxes already filled from the single grave. John E. Wood, the representative of the health department, also came up. When he saw the third box, he asked the man in the grave what it was for. Oh, I guess there's another one here, said the grave digger as he threw a shovel full of earth into the box. Mr. Wood looked into the grave and said, hmm, and walked away. Another shovel full of earth and some crumbled wood was then thrown into the box. The remains were disinfected, the lid fastened on, and the body of 274BH shipped to Riverside. Unquote. Well, no shocker here. The contract is canceled. The team of disgraceful, pathetic dismemberer of bodies are fired. And fences are then constructed to keep people out of the burial grounds as there were open graves revealing remains left alone. And believe it or not, they would not be filled in until 1902. The end result is sad, obviously. It is dubbed the Mount Prospect Scandal. The city gives up and leaves over 2,000 bodies behind and ends up building the park right on top of the forgotten graveyard, or soon to be forgotten graveyard. With so many people left behind, it is no shocker that every once in a while a skeleton or some type of remains reveals itself at the former site of the cemetery Mount Prospect, and now Cheeseman Park. Contractors and employees who work here are even fully warned that they very well might run into a skeleton while working here at the park. Probably more like a not a if you will, but when you will run into them. It is not uncommon, seriously, for remains to show up at the park every few years or so. When that happens, they are then gathered, they're analyzed, just to kind of double check and make sure it's not part of a murder or crime or something. The remains are then reburied this time in a more appropriate location like, a hello, an actual burial ground and not a former one such as the park. 
In November of 2008, Fox News reported this, quote, At the Denver Botanical Gardens, best known as the place to celebrate the beauty of living, it was a day to focus on the dead. On Friday, after construction personnel working on a three-level parking garage on unearthed human remains left from the site when it was once one of the city's very first cemeteries. Because we're digging deep into the ground for our new parking deck, we felt it would be prudent to contact the coroner before any work was done to ask her what we should do in the highly unlikely event that we find anything. She obviously told them to stop immediately and to reach out to her, and that they did. So this obviously puts an immediate halt to the construction and work of this very large project that they're doing. And now they must play the waiting game to see what exactly is going on. The Denver coroner's office released this statement, quote, We have assisted in the excavation of the graves and removal of skeletons and bones. Once we are sure there are no more, at least where they are doing construction, they will be released for burial at Mount Oliviette. Basically, the end result to this incident is that they did in fact recover more, 46 bodies actually, and they were laid to rest 46 bodies. I just, I cannot imagine that. It's just so unbelievable. But I am so glad and relieved that these people are now resting at a proper and respectable burial location, as they very much should be. And in November of 2010, a new irrigation system is being dug when workers come upon, no shocker here, remains of four people. The skeletons, they are very well preserved. It's within a two-day period where they would be unearthing these four sets of remains. Many of these people, they were criminals or poor and were buried without any type of record whatsoever. So it's really hard to say exactly who these individuals are. In their findings, though, they did find that one was a female, the other three male. Besides the bodies, they found remnants of the coffins, like handles and nails and what have you. Personal property, such as a comb, something that spoke volumes to how one individual met their end, a 22 caliber shell casing with brain matter on it. Looks like one of these folks either committed suicide or, more likely, was murdered. Now, one of the men looked to be in his 30s, and his remains showed signs of injuries that a minor would have had. The lone female is believed to be of Caucasian and Japanese descent. Additional findings show that there were actually five remains, not four, as two of the remains were mixed up into one box. Okay, guys, that has Edward McGovern's name all over it all over it. Not only is the former site of Mount Prospect Cemetery and what we now know as Cheeseman Park is considered extremely haunted, but there are reports dating back to the 1890s of haunting activity going on at homes that surround the burial grounds now park. As many of the homes are experiencing poltergeist activity and other unwanted things, Many of the nearby home residences begin to experience unexplained tapping sounds at their doors, rapping at their windows. This former cemetery turned park is considered to be one of Colorado's most haunted locations. 
Reports have come in from time to time of people seeing full-bodied apparitions, mysterious mists, and other things that they just cannot simply explain. Spirits of young children are seen playing, and then, well, let's just say they vanish right before very shocked people's eyes. This area wasn't always haunted, mind you. It was basically immediately after the bodies were disturbed and treated with such utter disrespect that strange things began to happen. To me, that just screams volumes. Additional activity includes people hearing moaning that would come from the open graves. Remember, these graves stayed open for about 10 years before anything was actually done with them. What a disgrace. In addition to the apparitions of children, a woman has been seen here quite often. She is always singing and she vanishes before people. A male apparition described as pale and thin has been seen here. Now looking at this man, it is very obvious that this poor spirit was victim to brutal injury. He has a broken jaw, he's covered in blood, and he is wearing a torn and tattered hospital gown. One man actually approaches him, thinking it's a living person, to ask him for a cigarette. The specter then raises his gown, which reveals several knife wounds to his stomach area. This poor soul has not only been dealing with a broken jaw, but from the looks of it has been attacked brutally, being stabbed several times. He reports to the living man who asked for a cigarette that he was looking for the men responsible who did this atrocious thing to him. The living man asks if he should maybe perhaps be at a hospital instead of just hanging out at a cemetery, and the man responds to him saying that, he was thrown out of the hospital due to not having any money. He then vanishes before this man's shocked eyes. What an encounter and experience that would be. Talk about mind-blowing. This particular spirit is referred to as Slackjaw. Many people have experienced seeing him and talking with him. He is often seen roaming the ground searching for his, who we believe is murderer. Shadowy figures have been seen lurking about in the trees, and it is said that some have even seen the outlines of headstones where they once stood so long ago. Many who come and visit the park claim to feel a sense of dread while being here. Others will hear moaning and disembodied voices and unexplained whispers emanating throughout the park, and I am unsure if this is true or not. But there is a story about a man named Russell Hunter who moves into this old mansion in Denver, and he begins to experience paranormal activity. And it gets to be so excruciatingly bad that he is scared for his life, as he believes an evil spirit is residing in his home, making it quite the living hell. You see, he had relocated from New York back in 1968. He finds this ever-so-gorgeous mansion that is being rented out for $200 a month, that is a killer deal considering this is indeed, well, hello, a mansion. Well, it turns out that people, they would come, they would fall in love with the place, they would rent it, but they never stayed. Often they would be chased out by unseen forces. Can you say a poltergeist? Every morning at 6 a.m. on the dot, without fail, he would be rudely awoken by these crazy, loud, crashing, thrashing, and banging sounds. 
The doors to the house would open and close all the time by themselves. Lights, they would turn off and on as well. Water would just come spurting out of the faucets when he was not even near them. And the walls, who the walls, they would vibrate with such force that pictures and paintings would violently crash to the ground. Hunter, he is on a mission at this point to find out exactly what is happening in his home. He just got here. He doesn't want to be chased out, what he considered his new home. He searches the mansion inside and out, and it is during this investigation of his that he comes upon the secret room that is found in an upstairs closet. He finds several different things, including almost probably a century-old journal. It belonged to what looked to be a young boy. Hunter, upon finding this amazing thing, conducts a seance to try to communicate with this young child. And he learns through the seance that the little boy was sick and he died very young. He happened to be the heir to his grandmother's fortune. However, his greedy parents were terrified that they would not get the money once it was revealed that the young lad had perished. So they adopt a boy the same age as their late son. I mean, really? So much for mourning the death of their child. Like, shame on you two. Selfish sons of bitches. The boy revealed that he is buried under a home. Not this home. Not this mansion. Not Russell's mansion. But a nearby one. And he shares that he intends to hurt the innocent family, taking up residence there, unless Hunter digs his remains up. The family allows this to happen, and human remains are actually discovered there, the remains of a young child. You would think this would have solved all of the issues that Hunter was experiencing in the mansion, but it was not that easy. You see, the child was angry. He was gutted. He was heartbroken that he died so young and that his mother and father basically just saw dollar signs and wanted to replace him as if they're taking out the trash and just for a few bucks. Like how low can you go, right? It is said that things then turn extremely physical when a glass door explodes. Hunter's face is terribly injured. An artery is severed in his wrist. The wall behind Hunter collapses and falls on top of him, unsure if this was at the same time or at a different time. Now, neither of these things kill him, but it does terrify him to the point that he leaves the mansion. I would too. Can't, can't blame him. A place that seemed too good to be true, this mansion, for $200 a month. And guess what? In the end, that's exactly what it was. Too good to be true. And he starts new on Kearney Street, but the malevolent spirit follows him. He is just so beyond sick and tired and fed up with all of the stuff that is going on around him. And he recruits the help of a nearby church where an exorcism is performed. They say that this was part of the reason why the changeling was created, that it was behind this incident. But then I kind of looked around a little and there were a couple of other instances that could have inspired the changeling. Not really sure. So again, unsure if this actually happened with this whole Russell Hunter and the seance and all that stuff. Well, makes for an interesting story. Maybe it should be in the legend category. Interesting either way. This week's special city shout-outs go to Kimberling City, 
Mississippi, Rock Hill, South Carolina, Woburn, Massachusetts, Linden, Utah, and, sorry, I know I'll probably butcher this, but Molenbeek, St. Jean, Belgium. You guys, as always, it is just beyond grateful for you coming and listening to me. Did you enjoy this week's episode? Listen to the others. They are all phenomenal. Haven't heard every single one yet? Eh, you know, no need to cry about it. Just hit up any of those awesome podcast platforms such as Google Podcast, Apple Podcast, Downcast, CastBox, Blueberry, Basically, wherever you listen to your other spooky podcasts, you'll probably find Paranormal Brothers podcasts lurking in the background. You have a story of your own to share? Maybe you want to be a future voiceover on an episode that doesn't even exist yet. Can you imagine the possibilities? Know of a local haunted spot that you would like to see on here? Well, find me on Paranormal Brothers podcast Facebook page. And you can message me. Or you can always get me on paraprowl at gmail.com. Thanks, and we will see you next week.